This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Living through a traumatic experience often alters our perspective in a way that makes us better partners, employees, leaders, family members, and ultimately, better people. If you find yourself unable to love the version of you born through trauma, offer yourself tenderness. If you aren't able to release your daily heartache, offer yourself consolation. If you'd rather forget your traumatic experiences than relive one moment, offer yourself empathy. If you can't stop yearning to return to the life you used to live, offer yourself patience. If you can't forgive yourself for what you view as failures, real or imagined, offer yourself mercy. If you are so afraid of future heartbreak that you aren't willing to take any risks, offer yourself kindness. If you feel trapped by your trauma, offer yourself compassion. Valeria Tellez interviews Michelle Neff Hernandez the author of Different After You, Rediscovering Yourself and Healing After Grief and Trauma. Michelle Neff Hernandez is the founding president and chief executive officer of Soaring Spirits International, a nonprofit organization providing peer support programming for widowed people worldwide. Michelle is the author of Different After You, set for publication by New World Library in March of 2022. Her passion for widowed people and the power of integration fuels her presentations and her community activism. Michelle has received a local, state, and national recognition for her work in founding Soaring Spirits, including a letter of recognition from President Joe Biden, Simi Valley Hospital Foundation's Woman of the Year Award, Ventura County's Women Today Award, Simi Valley Community Foundation's Humanitarian Award, and the National State Farm Insurance Embrace Life Award. Michelle resides in Simi Valley, California, with her three amazing kids and one very Australian husband, and is currently serving as the president of the Rotary Club of Simi Valley. Meet Michelle at SoaringSpirits.org. Here is the interview with Michelle Neff Hernandez. In your own words, who is Michelle Neff Hernandez? I am a dedicated advocate for people who have experienced trauma, in particular in my case, people who have lived through the death of their spouse or partner. In addition to that, I am a lover of life, of books, of the outdoors, and of the transformation that happens for people when they are open to life. How do you describe what grief is? Grief, 
my my definition of grief is is that it's the expression of love, in particular the pain and adaptations really it's it's getting used to grief is is the process by which we get used to a different relationship with someone who is no longer alive because we still love them and we stay connected to them but through the grief process we learn how to live on this side physically without them present and how to include them in our life ongoing in a new and different way what a beautiful message too. Specifically, the way you describe grief and the processes of grief, it kind of reminds me of life itself, which is very scientific too, in a way. It's very spiritual and scientific that life supports itself and it's always mm -hmm. adapting and transforming. When the organism, when we are open, then the only way it's forward, it's uh, evolving. It's transforming. It's amazing how the way you describe the process, grief and the process of grief kind of relates to a scientific understanding of life. And it's highly spiritual too. Well, and I think it also gives people the freedom to understand that they don't, grief doesn't have a beginning and an end because we will always be processing what it's like to live physically without our person present who is so much a part of who we are. And so allowing that process to continue through your life instead of thinking of it as a beginning and an end or that the outcome of grief is supposed to be a full healing that never references the pain of what we experienced. And I think so many people set themselves up to feel that they're not doing it right or that they've failed because the goal is somehow to close the door when really we just have to learn to get used to having the door open and allowing that free communication back and forth to continue through our lives. Mm. Oh, I love your message again. <laughs> I have to say that a thousand yeah. times. <laughs> I love your message. Yes, Michelle, a billion times to that. So let me ask you this question. If a life had one purpose, one purpose only, what would that be from your perspective? Oh, to love and keep loving in all of the different ways. Uh, and I think that when I, when I say that, what I mean is that we not only give love, but we receive love and that we allow ourselves to be transformed by that. And I think more than any other thing about grief, people yearn for that return of love. And so it feels a bit after someone dies, like you're just giving out love, but not receiving any from this person who's been a pivotal part of your life. And so our work as humans is to learn how to continue to love, to give and to find new ways to receive love and allow that to kind of continue to change and direct us as we move through our lives. It, that's exactly what you did. The, what you do now, that's what I see. It's a way of you giving love, but this is from receiving love. So I see this dynamic of which really what love is, is the giving and receiving of anything. So I see that happening. I mean, right with you, it's it's so obvious. Oh, thank, you. thank you again for being open to this, which we call life, Michelle. Another word that's interesting, the concept is balance. How do you view balance or the idea of balance? I think sometimes people strive for balance as a way of 
overcoming negativity, which I think instead of, in my view of it, instead of overcoming negativity, it's learning to sort of stand in the gap because, you know, on the flip side of grief, there's joy and there's love. And so the, the challenge is in finding balance to allow space for both. So it's not so much about overcoming one or the other, but standing in the gap and understanding that, you know, in particular for people who are missing someone they love, sometimes those really happy, joyful moments have a bittersweetness to them because you're wishing that someone else could be present or that someone else had been able to share that experience or you got to go home and tell this person all about it. And um, so many times that we allow that bitterness to taint the joy, but the truth is they just sit side by side. It's like a teeter-totter. And so our job is sort of to stand in the middle and realize they both have their place. And our job is not to negate one or the other or to overdo one or the other even, but, but more to stand in that gap and allow both experiences in our lives. And that happens every day. In our everyday life, we have the chance, you know, to, to overdo one or the other. But when we can find a way to stand in the gap, it means that our, our traumas aren't, no, aren't, aren't as deep and our joys are influenced by the fact that we have lived trauma. And so, you know, it makes the joyful moments shine a bit brighter while also allowing the trauma a place um, in our lives because it's, it's, a part of the, it's a part of the life experience. Did you have these insights and this deep wisdom that you have today before losing your husband? I have been so influenced by my husband's death that I struggle actually to answer that question just from the point of view of what did I think before? I think so much of what I've learned has been a part of the transformation for me, not only through my own grief, but, but, but the witness, to stand as witness to so many other people's grief. And then to take those lessons that I, that have been so personal for me and apply them to many other traumas as I move forward. You know, there's other people in my life who died. There's other experiences that have tested me in every way. And yet I continue to lean on the things that I learned in that early transformation of grief. And so I would say that I have always been a person who's open to a continued connection with people who die. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful I came into this experience with that. Um, and I also have always really looked for a way to be able to see what's happening as a part of a whole. Um, but nothing, nothing taught me that more significantly than my husband's death. Thank you again, Michelle, for being open. Yeah, it seems like a, it's not even you that I'm thinking, like not the center point that Michelle mm. is, but just life itself doing yeah. its work. And mm. then do you have any spiritual practices or belief systems? I would, I'm generally spiritual. I was raised as a Catholic and um, that sense of what I love about the Catholic Church is the ritual. And so I've taken that piece of that and sort of evolved into, you know, this knowing of the universe and of the many forms that God takes and the many ways that we identify that that universal force. And so spirituality has always been a part of my life and always a part of, um, and again, grateful for that because a lot of times when we're grieving, we struggle, you know, that spiritual struggle is, 
is can can really take us in a lot of different directions. And knowing that I already had this sort of basic belief in the ongoing nature of our life force and and that I never believed that my husband was truly gone right. uh, was definitely beneficial for me. What are some of the obstacles to healing that you have seen in yourself and others, Michelle? One of the first obstacles to healing for me personally was the need to check everything off a list. I wanted someone to hand me a list and say, Mm -hmm. here, you can do all of these things. And when you're done, you're going to be healed. And what I didn't realize at the time was the ongoing nature of healing and that I needed to be okay with not having answers. And I'm a person who really likes to have answers. So that was a really tough learning for me was that sometimes we aren't going to know, but that doesn't mean that that there isn't healing in the not knowing. And I think that was a really difficult concept because I wanted I wanted specific answers. But, you know, when your person dies, I realized if someone were able to say to me, Michelle, this is why Phil died. You know, he was killed in a cycling accident and this is why. And even if the answer to why was because you were supposed to go and help all of these widowed people, millions of widowed people, I still wouldn't have thought that was a good enough reason. And so what I realized was there is no good reason that would make me feel like, oh, this is all justified. Instead, I had to understand that it was a part of the process and that this his death experience was his process as well as my process and every other person who knows and loves him. And so it it began for as in terms to come back to your question, the block for me was feeling like I had to have the answers. And when I found a way to let go of that and realize that there wasn't going to be a definitive answer, but instead there was going to be a development of the answer coming to me over time in a million different ways. Not so much the answer to my original question, but more the answer to what is next for me? What am I supposed to do? How is this experience going to change the way I look at the world? Those became the more pivotal questions. And so I think for people who are who are seeking healing specifically, oftentimes we put a, a goal to that or a time frame to that or an expected outcome. And that that blocks us from 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 maybe many gifts that could come from not having a particular outcome in mind, but more being willing to go with the flow of the process and explore our feelings, make space for our grief, make space for the traumatic experiences we've had. So many times, um, especially culturally, in, in first world countries specifically, people have the expectation that we can put our past behind us. And, and my experience is the direct opposite of that. When we attempt to take our past and pretend like it didn't happen or walk away from it, we set ourselves up for this big block to healing. Because the, the more we ignore something, the bigger it gets, the more room it takes in our lives. Something caught my attention when you say for the reason for something to happen, anything, being part of the process. Would you add part of the process of life? Or just leave it as part of the process? Oh, definitely, I think part of the process of life. But, if, but for me, the expansion of that was that it wasn't just my life. It was also Phil's life. And so it was a part of the process of his life. And because our lives are intertwined, it then becomes a part of the process of my life. And when I can see it from more than one 
perspective, when I can look at his death and recognize that it was a part of what was in the plan for him. And though I don't, I, I could say now that I can see it in a broader frame at the time, I did not like that. <laughs> and I wish that that was not a part of his story or mine. And I can still say that, you know, I, I, my human self and the missing of him, you know, still can't, still wishes that that, that that could have been a different outcome still, even after all of what's happened. But I have been able to bring to it the wisdom of knowing that it wasn't just about me. It was also about him and that it's not just about me and him, but all of the people whose lives he touched. Each one of us has now integrated this experience of his death into our own lives, you know, in our own unique ways. And it has influenced our path in a way that nothing else would have. Ah, what a beautiful realization really that mm. it comes to me as a realization that everything is interconnected we can't separate life from itself i know it seems and it, it has so many parts but they all work together and mm -hmm. in the end if there is an end it seems like that's what it's trying to do to make this experience fulfilling and beautiful and joyful and meaningful that's what it seems to me every time i I can see that from experience talking to people like yourself and in my own direct experiences with these things, with life itself. Are there anything that surprised you most throughout the experience, the healing experience of grief, Michelle? What surprised me most was that grief would be, would end up being the sort of impetus for everything that would come after when he when Phil first died I I think I believed there would come a time when I had healed to a point where his death was no longer a primary factor in my life and I'd say even I might have made that a goal you know I wanted to grow past it but I, I I'm was surprised consistently with how much life can be encouraged by death and how grateful I eventually became for so many of the things I learned in what was a really, really difficult way. So still today, I, when I think back to your first, to one of your early questions about, you know, what, what would I have, would, would I have had these kind of thoughts prior to Phil's death? It's always surprising to me how pivotal this experience has been in my life, grieving him specifically, but then recreating my life in the aftermath of that, I always imagined would have been separate from him. Instead, it's mm. 100% includes him <laughs> yes. in the most beautiful way. And so right. when we talk about life mm. continuing yeah. and every one of us having a perspective about someone's death specifically, is that he didn't die for as long as he continues to influence each one of us. He's very much alive in our lives if we allow it. It's when we are open to the process of grief and allow grief to be a process instead of an end stage that we get the opportunity then to be surprised by the ways that our loved ones come back to us, influence us, and continue to be a part of our ongoing experience of life. I have heard about which you have been 
kind of mentioning that piece by piece, the idea of unhealth grief and healthy grief. How do we learn to identify the signs of unhealthy grief and healthy grieving? One of the key signs of what I like to think of as a grief that hasn't gotten yet the opportunity to be expressed is when our life is stalled and we are unable to find things that truly bring us joy and even allow ourselves to experience the joy because so often in grief in particular, we use pain as an indicator that we still have a connection to our person. And so if I'm feeling light and happy today, then some part of my brain often will say, oh, but what about Phil? He's dead. You're not supposed to be happy. But the truth is that we, but it's just what we said before, joy and grief are the same side of the coin. And when we are in serious grief, we're standing on the side of the teeter-totter that's way to one end. So if we're standing on our wood plank, we're way in the grief part. And in order to balance, we have to shift towards joy. That doesn't mean that grief will never, we'll, we won't lean towards the teeter-totter of grief side, but it does mean that adding more joy is a way for us to be able to balance and come back to a more centered reality, not only in terms of our grief, of course, but in, in our life. And for people who are on the teeter-totter and feel like they just can't allow any joy to lighten the load, they feel like they're in a space where their grief expression needs additional support and you and finding some tools for providing yourself with ways to process the pain as well as identify what are your blocks to joy because it's adding the joy that's going to balance that teeter-totter and allow you to rebuild a life for the person who is transforming and rising from the experience um, of the grief. And with that in mind, you have written a book with some of these uh, tools and inspiration for others. And you are also the founding president and chief executive officer of Soaring Spirits International. So talk to me for a moment about the main intention and purpose of writing your book, Different After You, Rediscovering Yourself in Healing After Grief and Trauma, and also the work you do with Soaring Spirits International. It, the main message for different after you is this idea of allowing ourselves to be changed by the traumatic experiences we live. So often we set the standard for healing. And so if we were to say, okay, what would you, what would it look like if you were healed? If that was an end state and people will say, if I could just go back to how I was. And the trouble with that goal is that's impossible. Life has already taught us something. We've already been changed by the experience. And so when we set our sights to rebuild exactly as it was, it's like taking the broken bits of a vase and expecting that when we glue it together, we'd never be able to see that it was broken. And so the goal of the book is to help us not only acknowledge that we've been changed, but learn to respect and value the person who has been born through this experience. And for me, that experience began with the death of my husband. For many other people, there are a million other traumas that we live that change who we are fundamentally. And oftentimes we look at that change as a negative. Oh, no, I've been changed. I'm never going to be the same again. I see that as a positive. 
you're right, you aren't going to be the same again, but this you has survived this thing and you've learned something unique about that experience that you are going to take with you into every future experience. And because that's a reality, we can either embrace it and shape what that looks like, or we try to walk away from our past and have it take up more and more room in our present, making it difficult for us to plan a future that is positive and hopeful and includes joy because we're very busy trying to make sure the past doesn't find a way to get out. And that's, it's, I've seen it so often in my work with Soaring Spirits International, which is a nonprofit organization that provides programs and community for people who are widowed. And I've seen so many widowed people come to me and say, when am I going to be back to my old self? And the answer is, you're not, you're never going to be exactly the same again, but that doesn't have to be a, a negative message. And, and oftentimes it's heard as a negative, like, oh, no, I've lost everything, even myself. But the truth is that version of yourself no longer exists because you, who, as you exist today, experienced something that prior version didn't. And, and so being able to respect that person and love that person and then when you find that, build a life for that person that reflects all that you know now, all that you've experienced, and uses those experiences to build a future for your current self. That's that's the work of the book. And it's really, in large part, the work of Soaring Spirits as well, which is helping widowed people rebuild their lives after the death of a spouse or partner, and doing so in a community of others who are doing the same thing. Something, it just occurs to me that, that it seems like we hold down two identities, isn't it? The death of identity, it's, it might be even more traumatic than, than losing someone, it seems to me, for some people. Well, and also I think it's the second step, right? So our first experience of the death of someone we love, and in, like I said, in my case, it's a, a partner, but in other cases, it could be a parent, a friend, a sibling, that when we experience the death of someone we love, our identity shifts. And to to come back to a question you asked earlier, what was one of the surprises? I ran my own business. My husband ran his. We definitely supported each other's efforts, but we lived our own sort of path and goals where, of course, they merged. So when he died, it was so surprising to me that my sense of self seemed totally out of whack suddenly. I I was very surprised to discover that I felt like, who am I now? And I thought, well, I didn't ever imagine that my sense of self was tied so closely to my marital status. But really what it was tied to was the person who was experiencing life with Phil. And now this new person was experiencing life without him physically present. And I had to adapt to a new version of myself. And so to your point, the first The first experience we have of grief is the physical absence of the person who's died. But the second experience, and what I often tell widowed people I feel is the harder question, is who am I now? Who am I without this being a part of this physically present relationship? And that question requires diving into discovery. And that's the hope of Different After You, is to help people have tools for grieving what they've lost, and then identifying who they are so they can build something valuable for the person they are today. I love how clear you are to um, communicating this message. There's so much clarity. 
And your book is divided into seven parts. I love that number two for some mm. reason, a spiritual number. Acknowledge, grieve, inventory, explore, imagine, reclaim, own. So what was the inspiration to write the book in this format, Michelle? I also loved that I ended up with seven steps and um, we could, it, because I feel sure you agree, there's no accidents. Um, it felt very, that the synchronicity of those topics coming to me and the total being seven uh, was really just a beautiful moment. But the idea was, I like to break things down into two small bites so that we can, and, and each of the sections of the book it's possible that you read grieve and you think, okay, I'm not, I'm, or you read acknowledge and you're not ready to move to the next step yet. It gives people an opportunity to read a section, sit with it, and then decide if they're ready for the next step. And so I wanted to, to divide it up in such a way that people could process the thoughts and the the challenges that are included in each, because there are challenges included in every one of these sections. And being able to make space for them is an important part of using the book as a tool. So it never was really intended to sit down and read the whole thing and think that you'd gotten everything you could get out of it by the time you got to the end. My hope is that people will section by section think, okay, am I ready to move to the next step? And, you know, even if you've read the whole book and then you think, okay, you know, I, I think I still need to go back here. It's also designed so that people can revisit the areas that feel necessary when their next trauma comes up, because life will always offer us these varying experiences. And if we have a place we can go to revisit and go, that's right, this is something I need to grieve again. This is a new grief. Um, and then apply the rest of the process to this new experience. My hope is that it's a book that becomes a friend for people as they continue to process and be inspired to process mm. the things that happen to them rather than try to put them in the past. Yeah, that's a, a beautiful vision too. I love the way you say that uh, it becomes a friend. And I love how you mentioned the word process many times throughout our conversation today and how life is really a process. So in processing whatever happens is very important, which has to do with relaxation, doesn't it, Michelle? It just came mm -hmm. to me that relaxing, creating space to understand what's happening or just happened. It's so crucial. Well, and I think hard for people who are grieving, it's hard to relax into grief because it feels like it's going to suck you up and never let you out. And so I think that that idea of being able to allow it in, because if we don't, what we do is we push it in the corner and try to pretend like it doesn't exist. But but we've learned that that just doesn't work. And so it takes courage, you know, to be able to relax into grief and allow yourself to feel things that are scary. That's a beautiful way of saying that, to relax into grief. I never heard it that way. That's inspiring. And now you just kind of um, gave me another inspiration, another idea, <laughs> another question. What does it feel like? That's a very interesting concept. What does it feel like to rest into grief? It, it really does feel a bit, there's a twofold piece to it. And I can obviously only speak from my own experience in this, but is that in some ways it's a respite because when you're struggling with grief, when you're in an active struggle, you're 
always exhausted and feeling as if you're losing somehow Mm, (laughs) because we can't outrun the process of having to learn how to be separate physically from someone who is pivotal in our lives. It's not possible. And so you're constantly running, 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 and it's exhausting. When you stop and you allow yourself to sit in that grief, it's almost like, okay, fine, I've stopped running. I'm just going to sit here for a minute. And it's in that rest that we are able to allow those feelings to come. And they do come and go. It's just that when you're always running from them, you don't get the chance to experience the coming and the going because you're constantly running. And I mean, I definitely have had my times of that. And I think it's normal to do both to some days feel like you can't sit in it, but it's important to acknowledge that sitting in it is really the only way to allow yourself to fully experience it. And that's what our grief calls us to. It calls us to fully experience it. And if we don't, it will just keep calling. (laughs) And so that's, that's the challenge is that it takes courage and it takes the ability to believe that you aren't going to get swallowed by it to sit with it. And I, I will tell people, you know, set a timer, sit quietly with your grief for 15 minutes and when the timer goes off you can say okay I'm gonna step outside and go for a walk okay I'm gonna take a shower okay I've set up a call with a friend but giving yourself a time frame can make it feel safer to sit within your grief that makes me think about trust or the idea of trust is that somehow related I think so yeah for sure and also remembering that in some ways when someone dies it feels like a trust has been broken And so it's harder to trust when you are now faced with the reality that your life has been changed in this pivotal way. And so recognizing that our trust has been challenged, recognizing that rebuilding that trust is a step-by-step process, which includes making space for the grief to process what you've experienced. And And I think one of the themes in my book is that learning to trust life again Mm, learning to trust joy again takes courage and it takes intentional work yeah i love everything about you your work your intentions everything it's just the most beautiful thing thank you michelle Thank you so much. I still have lots of questions, but I can't ask all of them today. But I do have another one that I became curious about. When you talk about running from grief, how do you describe that? Would you say drinking? Some people, I heard some people do that. Yeah, for sure. I think running from grief comes in a million forms. Yeah. (laughs) Of course, of course, it could be, you know, some kind of abuse of alcohol or drugs. It can be, you know, an overabundance of sexual partners. It can be, but it can also just be filling your life with so much busyness that you Mm -hmm. never stop. Uh, And so and so often what happens is people fill up their lives every minute of every day. So they're busy, busy, busy so that they don't have to rest in the grief. And I think of all of the types of running that are that I've ever experienced in my in my work with widowed people, the busyness one is the most frequent is that I will make my life so busy that I don't miss you. Or I will make my life so busy that I don't have to sit with your absence or I will make my life so busy that I'm never home so that I don't have to feel your absence in my home. And so that's one of the reasons why the pandemic has been so challenging for people who have 
in say the next last four or five years been widowed because many times their coping mechanism has been to create things outside of their house that keep them busy so that they don't have to face their grief at home. Then suddenly when the pandemic required us to be at home, they were stuck there with this grief that had been, as we just said, waiting for them because it's yet to be processed. So business is just being constantly Mm -hmm. busy. That, uh, wow, so many of us can relate to that, right? Running from Mm -hmm. emotional pain of, of all kinds. Of all kinds, exactly. Yeah, we just ended up making all these excuses with our times and being busy to run from them. So I love the affirmations for the new you you have in the book. They are beautiful. The new you is a badass. This new you has different strengths. This new you has endless potential. I love those. It just automatically kind of communicates the message in a powerful way too. And then the chapter 24, Own Your Own Phoenix, that caught my attention too. There's just so much wisdom there, so many messages. I love the way you have those um, statements that can help us to self-heal. So many other passages that caught my attention. There's one that you say, transformation is only possible when we are truly open to evolving. That's just one part of the passage that caught my attention there and so many others. Thank you so much again, Michelle. It's been a joy. Thank you so much. And before I ask you my final questions, would you like to add anything else or read a passage in your book? I would love to just let everyone know that Different After You is a love letter to anyone who is struggling to find respect and love for themselves after they've experienced any kind of life-altering trauma. And I love that you highlighted those passages in the book. And since you've read them, I'm going to let that stand. But I want, because the whole point, and actually while writing the book, I I wanted to get to those chapters because the whole point is to recognize how beautiful you are in transformation and how beautiful we can be when we allow ourselves to be changed by what we've lived through and own the beauty that comes after and that's that's what owning your phoenix means to me. It's being able to stand in your own power that you developed in a really difficult, terrible way. But it is power nonetheless, and it belongs only to you. And no one can own it but you. Mm. So if we don't yeah. allow ourselves to own our power, it sits unclaimed. And this love letter is to help you claim your power. Thank you again so much, Michelle. I absolutely love, love, love everything about you. (laughs) It's so beautiful. The intention, it's incredibly beautiful. It's life itself speaking. That's what I hear. How do you define success these days? Uh, I define success these days as, as being in my own power and using it for the good of others and in ways that mean something to me. And so moving through my life in a way that I make space for what matters, not only to me, but to the work that calls me. And what is another word for healing? Transformation. What are three things you wish everyone to experience before they lose the body, before they die? 
belly laughter that <laughs> makes you gasp. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Love that feels tangible after the death of the person who first offered that love and a sense of a real a true sense of a difference that you can make in the world and a willingness to on and to take on that work whatever it is and it, it could be in any size or shape but a to really feel like you've impacted the world in a positive way is such a beautiful experience. I would wish that on every person before they leave their bodies. Yeah, thank you so much for everything that you represent. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? You can find all of that at michelleneffhernandez.com. And Michelle is spelled with one L because my mom believed in the <laughs> French way of spelling it. So it's michelleneffhernandez.com. You can find the book. You can find Soaring Spirits. You can find a way to contact me directly. All of that through the website. And the link will be on your podcast profile too. Thank you so much again, Michelle. And we'll talk Thank soon. Thank you. It was a joy. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Michelle Neff Hernandez and her work, please visit soaringspirits.org. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.